welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. I feel like we're all old friends now. It's good to see everybody today. Uh, Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts and our lives as uh, as we dig into your word. And we pray that you will transform us today to be just a little bit more like Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Before we get into the meat of the message, I I just wanted to share, is there anybody here who likes steak? Oh yeah, oh good, good, I'm really glad. Because, oh boy, have I got some good news for you. Uh, On Friday night, my wife and I found a little steakhouse in the... In the tiny little town of, of Trace Pinos, population 500. And this is called the 19th Hole. I forgot to tell them the name of the restaurant at, at the early service. And it's the 19th Hole, which uh, is weird because there's no golf course there. <laughs> but when you go in, I promise you, we went in and we, I had the best steak. I mean, one of the best steaks I have ever had. I mean, it was flavorful and, and juicy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got carried away there. Uh, but I encourage you, you know, if you're heading up to Pinnacles or something like that, and you like steak, uh, then you should go to, uh, to the 19th hole. I promise you, it won't break the bank either. It's a really good spot. Now, some of you are saying, well, why is a pastor starting his message by telling us about a steakhouse? That seems just a little bit weird. And I want to agree with you, it is a little bit weird, but imagine instead of now that we were standing out there on the patio after, after the service and had a cup of coffee or in our hands and a donut in the other hand, I said, oh, by the way, did you hear where we went? My wife and I found this great place on Friday night. And I told you about it and, and encouraged you to go there. Well, you, that wouldn't seem strange at all. None of you would have been offended. Probably not even the vegetarians. Because I'd just be offering good news about a discovery that I've made that I think could also be of benefit to you. So my question is, if we as Christians know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that he died on the cross so that everyone who believes in him could be forgiven and have everlasting life. We know that living in Jesus, even in this world, brings us peace and love and and hope, fulfillment like we could have never known without Jesus. If we know all of those things about Jesus, that's good news. Why is it so difficult Why are we so reluctant at times to share that good news with our neighbors and friends who have not yet met our Savior? Last week, we talked about your church's mission statement. Here it is, and I want to ask you to read it it with me once it comes up on the board. Our mission, to make disciples and grow Christ-like followers of Jesus. Now, we thought about that uh, at the leadership, with the leadership of the church, and we, we said, well, what would it look like if we fulfilled that mission? And that came up with the vision statement. So read that with me. To lead all in our community to become lifelong disciples of Jesus. 
to do that, you've got to talk to people about Jesus. And the question is, how? Don't, don't, doesn't it bug you when, when pastors, when we get up here and we, you know, we tell you, you need to do this, you ought to do that, but we don't tell you how to do it? So today we're going to talk about how to share your faith without alienating everybody you know. <laughs> and we're going to look at the model of the absolute master of telling people about Jesus. Jesus. We read in... Uh, John 4, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And that's kind of a weird choice of words on, on John's part because if you look at a map, well, he was down here in Judea and the most direct route certainly would be right along what they called the Ridge Route uh, and through the center of Samaria and uh, then to the town of Sychar and then he could make his way back up into Galilee, which is where he was ultimately headed. But the fact was that Almost nobody took that route because what we called Samaria back then is what they call the West, is what they call the West Bank today. And relationships between the Palestinians and the Israelis today are pretty comparable to what the Jews and the Samaritans thought of each other back in Jesus' time. So Jews would cut all the way down, they'd go down the, the mountains to the, to the valley, go all along the, uh, the Jordan River until finally, they, after they'd gotten past Samaria, they could circle back to get to where they were going. So, but John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And the reason he had to go through Samaria was he had to meet a particular woman. And that particular woman happened to be a Samaritan. And if you want to carry the good news to someone, you got to go there. He had to get to her to do it. So Jesus and his disciples came to the little town of Sychar, and the time was noon, and as the disciples headed into town to get some supplies, a weary Jesus sat down beside the city well to rest, and a woman, obviously a Samaritan woman, uh, came up to get water for herself. And Jesus said, uh, give me a drink. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to you and me, just asking somebody for a drink of water when you're sitting beside a well. But remember how the Samaritans and the Jews felt about each other, and the reality is that, that Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. And Samaritans did not talk to Jews. And men alone did not talk to a woman who was there alone. But Jesus broke through that barrier. Give me a drink. How many times do we rush past opportunities to make connections with, with unbelievers? You know, you're walking around the block and you see a neighbor who's out washing, uh, washing her car. You can just walk by or you can stop and, and say hello. You're going to the, the dry cleaner and we can choose to linger for a few moments and get to know the clerk. How's it going? Or we can just take our clothes and head back to the car. We can be in the cafeteria line at school 
And it turns out as we're waiting to get through the line, the, the student in front of us is that student, you know, the, the one who nobody really, a little off, you know, out, out of the crowd, nobody really likes to talk to that person. And, and, and we can make a decision then. Are we going to, uh, to just stare beyond them as though they don't exist, which is what they're expecting? Or are we going to stop and ask them how they're doing or, or talk about how bad the food is? Jesus made a conscious choice to talk with this woman. The reality is, is Jesus did not ask for a drink because he was thirsty. He asked because he knew how thirsty she was. And he had to do something about it. She said, why are you talking to me? Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And I could just see her shaking her head and saying, sir... Uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Now this is where most of us get tripped up, isn't it? That, that decision beyond saying hello and, and just polite chit-chat and, and turning that conversation to see if we can open up some spiritual uh, waters with our, with our conversation. And it's, it's hard to do that. We're not used to it. But I will tell you what the key is to taking that conversation to the spiritual level. And quite simply, it's this. It's listening. When you listen, God will present natural opportunities to turn your conversation to a spiritual plane. You know, my kids are a handful too. But I was amazed to find out that the Bible has some great advice about how to raise your kids. Uh, it really helped me. Oh, I get down on myself too. But you know what? A while back, I found something that changed my whole attitude about myself. I'd be glad to tell you about it if you'd like to hear One Christian businessman that I know told me that a common question uh, among business people when they meet is, how's your year going? And he said, I like to answer it like this. I say, well, my business is great, my family life is awesome, and my spiritual life is terrific. Which one would you like to talk about? Well, the reality is that probably most people would go like, oh, uh, let's stick with your business here. <laughs> but it could be, and it is for him, sometimes that people will say, your spiritual life, you know, I've been wondering about something. And that conversation shifts. 
Or maybe it's just planting a seed and, and it's the next time you see the person or a year later and they're struggling with the, uh, you know, some, some painful issue in their life. They're struggling with their relationship with God or even wondering if there is a God. And they say, you know, you say that funny thing whenever we ask you how your year is going. Could I, could I talk to you for a minute? This Samaritan woman, she was ready to move there. And Jesus, I imagine, did kind of what you and I would do at that moment, just taking a deep breath, trusting God, and moving ahead. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still thinking physically. By the way, did you notice, maybe, did you think it was odd that there's only two people at this well? It's, it's the, the, the main water source for the entire city, but the only ones there are, are Jesus and this one woman. And there, there was a reason for that. First of all, people would come to get water at the well first thing in the morning, when it was still cool, or they'd come just at the last part of the evening before it got dark when it cooled off again. Because in, in the daytime, this is hot desert region. You folks know all about that around here. And, and people would not go out to the well in the middle of the day because it was just too darn hot. They'd go in the morning and in the afternoon, and actually it became a social event. I, I lived in a town for a while that didn't have... Uh, Postage delivery, and I guess Carmel by the Sea doesn't, doesn't either. I don't know how it works here, but in, in our little town, uh, we'd all head to the post office. You know, most people went between 10 and 11 to, to pick up our mail if, if we were able to do that, and it was a social event. You know, I knew as a pastor in that town, if I just hung around the post office long enough, I'd see everybody in my congregation. Which is exactly why this woman did not go in the morning. Because you see, she was a woman with a reputation. She had a past. Uh, to tell the truth, she had a present. And she couldn't bear anymore the, the humiliation of going to the well when all the other women were there and hearing the whispers and seeing their sideways glances or maybe their little smirks. It was painful. So she chose to go at the hottest hour of the day when she knew she wouldn't run into anyone. Now, here's where it gets a little uncomfortable. Because just as the woman was starting to engage in this conversation with Jesus, uh, he, he turns to her and says, um, before, we, before we get into all this, uh, go get your husband. She says, I, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus, in an unexpectedly compassionate voice, answers, you're right. You don't have a husband for, you've had five husbands. And you, you aren't married to the man you're living with now. Listen, if you want someone to sugarcoat the, your life and tell you sweet nothings and never say anything uncomfortable to you, basically lie <laughs> to make you feel good, 
Jesus is the wrong guy. Instead, Jesus spoke the truth in love. Now, how do we know it was in love? We know he spoke it in love because of her reaction. I don't know whether it was the tone of his voice or whether it was the the expression on his face, but something helped her to realize that he was not like those women who shunned her. He felt for her. And so instead of disengaging from the conversation, she engages even more deeply. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here in Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Now, if it sounds, it sounds kind of like she's changing the subject, doesn't it? Well, let's get off this business about my husband's. But Jesus heard the question behind her question, and that wasn't really off subject at all. Because her real question here is, where is God? You people say he's in Jerusalem. You know, our people say he's, he's in Mount Gerizim. I, I really want to find him, but I, I don't know where he is. You know, you, you Baptists say that he's at your church, but the Presbyterians, you say he's at your church, and and the Buddhists say one thing, and the the Hindus say something else, and then there's other people who say, if you really want to meet God, just climb a mountain and, and, and look at nature. Where's God? And Jesus essentially answers her by saying, it's not where, it's who. And I can imagine her throwing up her hands in exasperation at this point. You know, like, okay, yeah, I know the Messiah is going to come, the one who's called Christ, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus, after this, looking into her eyes with intensity and compassion, tells this woman, this Samaritan woman, this broken, sinful, humiliated Samaritan woman, something that until this point in his ministry he had not revealed to anyone else, including his 12 disciples. And he looks her in the eyes and he says, I am the Messiah. And the angels began dancing in heaven when she embraced that good news and became a follower of Jesus. She was so excited she went and told everybody else. When God opens the door for you to share your faith and when you summon up the courage to walk through that door, there there are a few things to keep in mind. Simple principles. First of all, listen first and talk second. You know the old expression, no one knows what you no one cares what you know until they know that you care. Or someone said, God gave us one mouth, two ears, use them proportionally. Second, you're called to be a witness, not called to be an apologist. 
Now, an apologist, and there are some great apologists out there. Those are the, the, the believers, and they've got all of the academics, and they've got all of the arguments. They can sit down and explain to you point by point by point why the gospel is true. But most of us don't have that encyclopedic lawyer's brain that the, that the people who are gifted to be apologists have. I don't have that. You know? but, but all of us have a story. You have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story about your life with Jesus. And you're called to be a witness, someone who tells what they've experienced. And someone could argue with you about the, the finer points of the doctrine of the Trinity. But no one can argue with you when you say, you know, Jesus changed my life and this is how. That's where you start. And then third, trust the promise of Jesus who told his disciples in Luke 12, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And I've experienced that. When someone you know, asks me a question or says something and I'm going like, oh my gosh, what do I say? I don't know how to handle this. And then the words just come to me. That's not because I'm such a handsome, smart guy. (laughs) That's the Holy Spirit. And he's in you if you're a follower of Jesus, and he'll give you the words too. I remember a night I was uh, leading our youth group. I was a young pastor at the time, probably about 27 years old. And uh, I was leading our youth group on a mission trip to Booneville, Kentucky. Yes, that's really the name of the town, Booneville. And we were leading vacation Bible school for, for the children of the, uh, who lived up in the hollers there and, and didn't really have opportunities to hear about Jesus. So we had all of the teenagers with us, and we sang songs, and we told stories, and we played games, and we did all the silly things. About Thursday night, the, the youth were in their cabins, and uh, we adults were gathered in the, in the kitchen, uh, kind of having a cup of coffee together and kind of reviewing the week, thinking what we were going to do the next day, when there was a little knock on the door, and, and a, one of the teenagers stuck his head in through the door, a kid named Paul, and he, he said, Jeff, could, can I talk to you for a minute? And I, I said, Sure. And as Paul and I walked outside, I know that the adults who were left in the room began to pray. Paul and I sat down on a log, and and he said to me, you know, all that stuff we've been singing about and and all of that telling we've been telling these kids about, Jeff, how how do I get that? How can I become a disciple of Jesus? Now, he did not know that at this point in my life in ministry, I had never had the privilege of leading someone to faith in Christ. But I took a deep breath. I silently prayed, Lord, give me the words. And we talked, and ultimately I said, Paul, what you need to do is this. Just pray, Jesus, I know I've sinned and let you down. And I know you love me. 
please forgive me. From now on, I want to follow you. And he prayed that prayer, and the angels began dancing again up in heaven. And I'm pleased to say, Paul and I have stayed in touch for these 35-some years, and he's still following Jesus. And so is his wife, and so are his kids. In the end, only God can change a human heart. But what a blessing it is when God gives us the privilege of showing someone the way. But it will only happen if you're willing to put yourself out there and talk about Jesus. Our mission to make disciples and grow Christ-like followers of Jesus our vision to lead all in our community to become lifelong followers of Jesus. Wow. Lord, thank you so much that you have made yourself real to so many of us in this room. And if there's somebody here today who's saying, uh, hold on, I don't think I've got that. I, I just hope that right now you'll also pray, Lord, I want to be your follower starting right now. Lord, when we're out in the world with our friends and neighbors and even our families, help us to listen so that we can recognize those God-made appointments that you give us with those who are not yet believers. And when we sense that it's a, a God encounter with somebody. Give us the courage to speak up and, and, and just open the possibility of spiritual conversation. And when people ag agree to enter that, to joyfully and compassionately and truthfully share with them the love of Jesus. Because we look forward to that day, Lord, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.